Welcome to Medical Student StudyCast, the podcast to help third-year medical students study for clerkships, where I have the questions and you have the answers. Hi, I'm your host, Josh Bradford, a third-year medical student at Rocky Vista University. The goal of this podcast is to help medical students study for high-yield topics and actively test knowledge. I use several resources and picked out some of the highest-yield information. This podcast uses a question-and-answer format, which can help test and gauge what you know and help identify knowledge gaps. I encourage you to do your best to actively answer the questions. Let's get started. Psychiatry Clerkship. In this episode, we will cover geriatrics, medical problems, and random topics. Welcome to the last planned podcast for psychiatry. This is not an exhaustive list of topics, and definitely not every question or fact you should know, but all of the topics covered in these episodes are high yield and should definitely help you study for shelf and board exams. Starting with some testing advice for psychiatry shelf. First off, always trust the patient. You don't need to verify with family or boss unless it's a glaringly obvious reason that you should, like malingering. Also, ask about suicide in a depressed patient. The first thing you should always do in a seriously depressed patient is ask about suicidal ideation. Next, it's always important to get more information if it's appropriate. So if there's an answer choice about asking and getting more information, highly consider that unless the diagnosis has been definitively made and you really need to start treatment. Don't delay treatment in an emergency. Some of these emergencies include suicidality, acute mania, and acute psychosis. If you have to pick a therapy, consider CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. It's uh, very effective for a lot of different things. So less likely is dialectical, family, or group therapies, although those are accurate in some circumstances, and we'll talk about that more later. Hospitalize if the patient is suicidal, even if they don't have a fully developed plan, or if they're an adolescent and their parents disagree. So if you've asked, if if they're depressed and you ask about suicidality and there is suicidal ideation, the answer is hospitalized. Let's move on to medical problems. What are some changes, some physical changes that are seen in anorexia? So in anorexia, there is amenorrhea and there's low estrogen associated with that, also low LH and FSH. What about lipids, cortisol, and LFTs? So all of these are high. High lipids, high cortisol, high LFTs. You can think about it like the body's trying really hard to survive. So the liver is making lipids to compensate for the lack of intake. You might also see osteoporosis or weak porous bones lanugo, the the lighter soft hair, and parotitis, the swollen parotid gland because of vomiting. What's the most common cause of death in anorexia? That's heart disease and um, followed by suicide. So the um, electrolyte and uh, low glucose can lead to heart disease. How to differentiate between bulimia and anorexia? So body weight is the key feature here, but um, bulimics are not underweight 
And the reason why is because they have binges and purges and not just purges and restriction. So they binge, which compensates, I guess, for the purging, although it's really the other way. They have binges that are then, or purging that compensates for the binges. On CT scan, what would you see associated with schizophrenia? These are enlarged lateral ventricles are associated with schizophrenia. And what if there are abnormalities in the orbitofrontal cortex and the basal ganglia? Remember the caudate putamen and globus pallidus. These abnormalities not always seen but are often associated or can be associated with obsessive compulsive disorder. Next case, a 76-year-old female residing in an assisted living facility was complaining of pain on urination yesterday. Over the last few years, she's had more difficulty remembering names and gets lost easily. MedList shows she is still on opiates from a hip surgery eight months ago. Today, she presents with confusion, disorganized speech, and loss of awareness. What is this? This is delirium. Delirium is an acute medical problem that leads to confusion and lack of cognitive and executive functioning. What are the causes for this patient? So if she's still on medicine from hip surgery, those are opiates, and then she had dysuria yesterday, so that's a UTI. UTI in elderly people is a very common cause of delirium. You combine that with opiates and both of those can increase the risk. What are some other problems that can commonly cause delirium? There are a whole bunch of medications, including anticholinergics, opiates, also benzodiazepines, and antihistamines. Additionally, medical problems such as infection, sepsis, meningitis, hyponatremia, thyrotoxicosis, or problems with excessive thyroid hormone, B12 deficiency, and syphilis. Keep an eye out for polypharmacy. Some of these patients are on like 15 or 20 medications that can all have some small impact and together can cause delirium. What is the biggest risk factor for delirium? This is advanced age. Most of these patient cases are gonna have someone who's a lot older and then they get some medical or pharmacy problem that's added on top of it. Moving on to the next case, a 73-year-old male presents with confusion, irritation, and disorganized speech. His attention fluctuates in and out of awareness. He has a history of stable angina and AFib. On physical exam, he has hemiparesis in his right arm and face. What is this? This is some sort of cerebral vascular accident, most likely a stroke due to AFib and possibly throwing a clot. This is uh, here to emphasize the fact that often medical problems and emergencies can have uh, delirium associated with it. All right, what's the best treatment for delirium? The best treatment for delirium is to always fix the underlying problem. It's like source control in general surgery. So you always need to drain the abscess, fix the underlying problem. So in the previous case, you want to do something to help resolve the stroke or fix the UTI. On top of that, orient the patient back to normal life. So put light during the day, dark at night, have glasses on if they need them so that they can read the things around them, and then let their family come and visit them so that they see familiar faces. If there is agitation and a lack of Parkinsonian symptoms, what can you consider using in a delirious patient? This has been mentioned in previous podcast episodes, but consider using haloperidol if there's excessive agitation. 
Next case, a 90-year-old female is brought in by her daughter who noted that she recently is less active in the community, especially after her best friend passed away. While taking the history, the patient often says, I don't know to questions. She doesn't have any extra confusion at nighttime, also known as sundown. What is this? So even though she's saying, I don't know, and maybe showing less cognitive processing ability, this is pseudo-dementia. This is also just depression in the elderly. The onset is more rapid, they don't have sundowning, and they might say, I don't know, but that's related to the depression. What is the best treatment? Here you want to use an antidepressant such as an SSRI, but also continue, uh, consider mirtazapine if there's insomnia and anorexia. What else would she, um, the diagnosis be called if she met the criteria for MDD? This would be bereavement-associated depression. This is compared to normal bereavement, you know, after the passing of a loved one, by a depression that significantly impacts life and meets the criteria for MDD. Otherwise, bereavement is usually um, kind of self-resolving after several months and is most related, the depression symptoms are most related to things that remind them of the person that passed away. Now, what is the difference between dementia and delirium? Some of these question stems can be confusing and try to make you think that there's dementia when it's actually delirium. The key here is delirium is, um, has a quick onset, tends to be shorter term, while dementia is long term with an insidious onset. Important to note is delirium is also treatable, where dementia is generally not very treatable. Now, next case. An 81-year-old female is brought in by her son because she got lost going home from church and has difficulty remembering names of people at church. She has started asking her son about his wife, even though he got a divorce from her 10 years ago. Four months ago, he started coming over to help make her dinner, do laundry, and clean the house. He is worried about her. What's the diagnosis? This is most likely Alzheimer's, which is the most common dementia. And the key to watch out for is the impairment of the activities of daily living. What is seen on histology in Alzheimer's? Alzheimer's has tau tangles, and beta amyloid plaques. What other diseases are associated with Alzheimer's? Down syndrome, with a trisomy 21, also an APP mutation, or the amyloid precursor protein mutation, and then APOE4 variation, E4. What are the possible medications for Alzheimer's disease? There are two main classes, cholinesterase inhibitors and NMDA antagonists. So the cholinesterase inhibitors include denepazil, galantamine, and rivastigmine. And then the NMDA antagonist is memantine. Do these cure Alzheimer's? There aren't any medications right now that can cure Alzheimer's, but they can slow the decline. Another thing that slows the decline are people who stay as mentally active as they can can slow the, the progression of Alzheimer's. Next case, an elderly patient is brought in by his wife. He's not enjoying sports or family time as much as he used to. He has tripped at home more recently and has gotten lost walking home from the store. He yells at his wife for not having the paper out on the table when he gets up, and this is very unusual and not characteristic of him. He also started chewing tobacco recently, even though he quit 40 years ago. What is this? 
This would be frontotemporal dementia. There's a loss of inhibition, an orality, which is the chewing tobacco, a change in personality, like the yelling he used to not do, often related to a flat affect. So don't be tricked by a possible stroke or Alzheimer's, because there's still the dementia piece to it. And then the tripping might make you think Parkinson's, but the key here is that there's orality, change of personality, and loss of inhibition. Next case. An 88-year-old male who has lost the ability to complete crossword puzzles comes into the office because of stumbling around the house. He has rigidity, slowness to starting movement, and tremor. Regular loss of attention and hallucinations is observed. He has increased confusion at nighttime, also known as sundowning. What is this? This is Lewy body dementia. And it's Lewy body dementia because what symptoms started first? So there was dementia first and then Parkinsonian symptoms. And that's the key. You need to ask or be able to identify that. What is noted on histology? This is alpha synuclein inclusions. When considering treatment for Lewy body dementia, you need to be really careful about giving antipsychotics or dopaminergic agents. The antipsychotics can worsen the Parkinsonian symptoms, and the dopaminergic agents can worsen any psychotic features. Now there's a patient with slow to starting movements, stiff posture, and shaking tremor. This is followed in a year by a cognitive design decline. What is this? This is Parkinson's disease. Parkinson's starts with the Parkinsonian physical symptoms and then has cognitive decline. And what's the treatment here? First line would be carbidopa, levodopa, and you have to balance that in case there are psychotic symptoms. Next, a 65-year-old male infected with HIV and a poor history of heart drug therapy adherence, has worsening memory, attention, and needs help with the activities of daily living. What is this? This is HIV-related dementia. The key here is the question stem is always going to give a history of HIV, and then after a period of poor heart drug therapy adherence, they'll have um, dementia symptoms. Next case, a 45-year-old female who was adopted at birth and has no family medical history. She has jerking spastic movements of the arms, increased irritability, depression, and signs of dementia. What is this? This is Huntington's disease. And what is the inheritance pattern here? This is the trinucleotide repeat, autosomal dominant, and the trinucleotide sequence is CAG, or CAG, CAG. So the spastic uh, movements, um, depression is very common in Huntington's, and dementia generally occurs throughout the progression of the disease. Next disease a three-month history of rapid memory loss with noted myoclonus, ataxia, and nystagmus on exam. What is it? This is pretty tricky, but this would be prion disease. It's hard to sometimes pull these out of your head. But prion disease has a rapid progression, so a three-month history of rapid cognitive decline. It's not treatable, and then the myoclonus occurs in up to 90% of people at some point while they have prion disease. What is a stepwise loss of memory related to? Stepwise, what's that? Stepwise loss of memory is related to vascular dementia. The key is that every time a vascular incident occurs, 
there's a little bit loss of cognitive function. Next, pupils that collimate but don't react. That is characteristic for tertiary syphilis, neurosyphilis. What is dementia, ataxia, and overacted bladder? This is wet, wobbly, and wacky associated with normal pressure hydrocephalus. Anytime they bring up the bladder, especially when they're related to dementia, always think normal pressure hydrocephalus and then look for a wobbly, some sort of ataxia or cerebellar problem. Moving on to the next case, a 64-year-old female patient with a history of psychosis presents with signs of hallucinations, disorganized speech, and flat affect. She has a positive breathalyzer test for alcohol. How do you distinguish alcohol-caused delirium compared to psychosis? This is basically asking you what test you should run. In this case, if you're really worried about it, you can run an EEG. Alcohol has a diffuse slow wave on the background of the EEG, while psychosis appears normal on EEG. Now, there's an older person with insomnia, but does not complain about mood symptoms. What do you do? This gets back to the pseudo-dementia mentioned earlier. Always check for depression because in elderly patients, they often don't complain about mood symptoms, but will have problems like, I can't sleep, or I don't have as much energy, so they'll have depressive-like symptoms, but may not have an obvious mood component. Next case, a 77-year-old patient that can't pay, has excessive bruising, fears their caregiver, may have broken bones, and often denies that anything's wrong. So there are a lot of things here, but they can't pay because they don't have money, they have excessive bruising, and they might be afraid of their family member. This would really raise the suspicion for elder abuse. You want to report to a protective service, and um, a lot of elderly people either have poor memory and or a high level of personal pride, and they don't want to admit that something is happening. Let's move on to just some of the random topics here. This is... All right, so do you accept gifts from mentally unstable patients? No, no, generally don't accept gifts from mentally unstable patients because their judgment might be compromised. Next, let's talk about some defense mechanisms. A man comes home from work and he yells at his wife. That day, he got a bad review at work. What defense mechanism is this? This is displacement, which is displacing your anger onto someone else who is generally not in a place of authority. So the man wants to yell back at his boss, but instead he comes home and yells at his wife. A woman who is lazy screams at her husband that he never helps out around the house. What defense mechanism is this? This is projection, which is attributing bad intentions that the person has to someone else. So dis displacement is displacing their anger who they have for someone else onto a different person and projection is projecting your own bad attributes onto someone else next a child who used to think that about stabbing people then goes to medical school to become a surgeon what is this this is sublimation which is a ma mature defense mechanism the key here is that the person the child is channeling that same initially inappropriate desire into a positive way and they're not totally like present preventing or repressing that desire 
Next is a man who is plagued by the desire to steal. He donates all of his clothes to charity. This is reaction formation. This is an immature neurotic defense. And the key here is that he has the desire to steal and so he does the exact opposite. Instead of channeling, he flips it around and does the opposite. What are examples or the names of the mature defense mechanisms? These are altruism, which is giving and finding joy through giving. Humor, which is getting over something uncomfortable through humor. Sublimation, which was mentioned earlier, and that's channeling a maybe negative or inappropriate thought into something that's appropriate. And then suppression. Suppression as opposed to repression. Suppression is momentarily ignoring a problem so that you can still get your responsibilities done and then dealing with the problem when you have the right time and you're in the right emotional place. What is splitting? The defense mechanism splitting, which is associated with borderline personality disorder, is when you think people are either all good or all bad. And in borderline um, personality disorder, what's the best therapy that can be used? This is dialectical behavioral therapy. So if you see borderline, think DBT. DBT, only for borderline. Now you have a patient who has a substance abuse problem. What therapy should you send them to? This is group therapy. We kind of mentioned this already, but if they're an alcoholic, you want to consider sending them to Alcoholics Anonymous or AA. Now we're going to talk about a couple of therapies. So there's CBT, or Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. That's a good answer for a lot of stuff. That and just behavioral therapy are kind of two that fit a lot of things under it. So CBT can be used for what things? Disorders that CBT can be used for include OCD, paranoid personality disorder, and anorexia slash bulimia. And I'm sure lots of other stuff. Behavioral therapy, that is the classical and operant conditioning. Think here, Pavlov's dogs. Uh, these techniques are good for what problems? They're good for phobias and anxiety disorders. And then there's a biofeedback portion of that that can be used for headaches, somatic problems, um, lots of other stuff. What are the five stages of grief? These are denial, depression, bargaining, anger, and acceptance. There's a funny video that the Simpsons have out where Homer goes through all five stages of grief very quickly. So that's hilarious and you can watch it. These stages of grief often occur when a patient has been given a diagnosis that is terminal or if they're the survivor and a loved one is going through that. Moving on to a different topic. What about an old person who can live on his own but the family member is noticing that he's losing his edge and can't remember names anymore? He can go to the store but just doesn't leave the house as much. What is this? So you thought we were done with dementia and delirium. Well, we are. This is just normal aging. So the trick is uh, a lot of people lose their edge and have trouble remembering things. Um, if you can still go to the store and do a lot of activities of daily living, it's probably just part of normal aging. And a 19-year-old male was brought to the ED after a physical altercation. He has a history of physical abuse in the home from his uncle that he lived with, multiple arrests from uh, multiple assault and drug charges, he expresses anger at his uncle and previous employer who fired him for no reason. 
He says that they will get what they deserve, but when questioned, he denies intent to do serious harm to them. What disorder is this? We've previously mentioned antisocial personality disorder, and that's what this is. But the key here is, what should you ask about? So you want to assess whether he has the ability to murder someone. The likelihood is that if he has access to a firearm, that increases the chances that he'll do serious harm. So ask about the access to a firearm. Let's move on to gender dysphoria. What does it mean to be transgender? This is where the external genitalia and the internal sense of gender are not congruent. For example, an anatomic male who believes that they are a female. To consider this gender dysphoria, there must be distress and it must be consistent for six months. And when you're looking at these questions, remember to always pick the answer that is non-judgmental. Remember that your answer is independent of your beliefs and you should think of it as a physician. Now, what if you have a transgender patient that is not an adult? What do you give for them for treatment, or what do you do? So don't do surgery, and then wait at least six months to believe the person's beliefs are constant. Remember that this is not considered a delusion. At that point, you consider can consider referring them to someone who does hormone therapy. And yet again, another topic. You have a patient that has depression and crying after delivering a baby. What do you do? So this depends on the timeline. What if it's depression and crying within about four days of having the baby? This is postpartum blues and you reassure. But what if it per persists for two weeks and the patient is having a full depressive episode and generally is providing limited care to the infant? What is it then? This is postpartum depression, and what do you do here? The treatment for postpartum depression are antidepressants and psychotherapy. Now, the same mother is also two weeks out, but she hears voices and is thinking that her baby is cursed by the devil. What is this? The diagnosis here is postpartum psychosis, and what's the very first thing that you need to do? very first hospitalized so don't say check up in a week or don't say prescribe mood or antipsychotic medication first hospitalized protect the baby and the mother well thanks for listening we wrapped up this episode of the podcast uh, i appreciate anyone who's been listening to this podcast up to this point i have not gotten back a ton of feedback um, and i would appreciate anybody who likes the podcast i know i always mention this at the end but i'm going to say it a little earlier now um feel free to contact me at medicalstudentstudycast at gmail.com for feedback. I really hope that this has been useful to some people. And uh, with that, we're going to wrap up the episode and all the episodes for Psychiatry Clerkship. So thanks for listening to Medical Student Studycast. Here's the joke of the day. A doctor said to a patient, I've got very bad news for you. You've got cancer and Alzheimer's. The patient said, well, at least I don't have cancer. <laughs> If you appreciate this podcast, please consider supporting this content by donating to my Patreon at patreon.com forward slash medical student studycast or at anchor.fm forward slash medical dash student dash studycast. Um, remember, I am only a humble third year medical student, so if I make any mistakes, feel free to let me know, and I'll do my best to correct and provide the most useful, concise, and accurate study tool I can.
Disclaimer, this podcast is not meant to be the only resource of learning used for medical student clerkships. This podcast is not affiliated with Rocky Fist University and should not be used to diagnose or treat patients. I'd like to thank freemusicarchive.org for the intro and outro music.